in, in Mark chapter 2, the disciples are walking through this field, and there's, uh, there's the grain is ready for harvest, and they are walking through the field on the Sabbath, and they're plucking, they're taking the heads of the grain, and they're eating the grain, and it's the Sabbath. Now, I've been to Israel a couple times, and uh, by the way, we're going in February. If you want to come, you're welcome to join us. Um, but the, uh, it's, it's the Sabbath, and I've been to Israel uh, over a Sabbath. They call it Shabbat, which is where we get our word Sabbath. And uh, they, the, the ultra-Orthodox Jews in the, uh, in Judaism, their belief system is that on the Sabbath, it is set aside as a day of rest, which means you cannot do any work. Now, in theory, this is a great idea. Like, God installed it, and we're going to talk about that. Um, but, uh, the Pharisees in that day and the ultra-Orthodox Jews of this day, um, they have taken it to a uh, extreme. And I'll, I'll give you a, an example. So um, when we were in, in Israel, the first time I went, uh, we stayed in this hotel and I get in the elevator and I, I'm on like the eighth or ninth floor or something like that, several floors up and I push the button, right? And I'm sitting in the elevator and the elevator goes up one floor. Doors open and I'm like, okay, maybe, I don't know what happened. So I hit the button again to go up and the elevator goes up one floor, opens again. And I'm like, okay, so I get out, I go into the other elevator, hit the button, go up to my room. Later on that day, I come back down and I said, I'll go to the desk guy and I say, hey bud, um, just want you to know the the elevator on the far right-hand side, um, it's broken. Uh, It only goes up one floor at a time. And he said, oh no, no, no. He said, that's our Shabbat elevator. And I was like, Sabbath elevator? Like, what is that? You, you take a nap in the elevator? Like, what, what do you do? Um, and he said, no, no, no. He said, uh, um, the ultra-Orthodox Jews uh, consider pushing the button work. And, and so you see, the, when, you, when you push the button, that ignites an electrical current that you know, does whatever it does to get you up the floors. And so um, in... in the Jewish belief system, in, in ultra-Orthodox Jewish belief system, that's work. And so God said that you're supposed to rest on the day of Sabbath, and so that would be considered work. So if we don't let the elevator go up every floor, then the ultra-Orthodox Jews can't get to their rooms. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, like, that's a whole different level of, of work, right? Like, I, I've, I, I didn't think about that. And, and then I started thinking, well, like, what about their meals? How do they eat? Well, they prepare it ahead of time. But it, they're still lifting a sandwich to get to their mouth, right? Like, like where do we, how do we decide what's work and what's not work? Is this work? Am I working right now or am I not working? I pushed that button. Was that work or was that not work? And, uh, and so I realized very quickly that, the religious system in Judaism it, uh, runs, runs very deeply. It's been going on for hundreds and, and thousands of years. Um, so 
this, this idea of the Sabbath has been developed over time. Jump back to the story in Mark chapter 2. Jesus is walking through the field with his disciples and they, they're picking grain, eating it on the Sabbath. Now, once again, you can eat food, but you can't pick the food from the tree or the stalk or the whatever because that's considered work. But if you made the food ahead of time and you lift it and put it in your mouth, that's not work. So the disciples are picking the grain, right? Which is working by uh, Old Testament standard. And, uh, and so the Pharisees go to Jesus and they say, why are your followers working on the Sabbath? What is going on? If you read through the Gospels, you'll notice that a lot of miracles Jesus performs, he does them on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are more mad that Jesus did a miracle, healed a lame person or a blind person or whatever. They're more, he's more, they're more upset that he broke the law than that they're in amazement that the person was healed. And so... Jesus makes this statement, and this has been ringing around in my head for a a little while. In in Mark 2, 27, he says this, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not not man for the Sabbath. In in other words, okay, the word um, Sabbath or or Shabbat, which is where we get that word, it it doesn't mean just freedom from activity. It doesn't mean just being inactive. I'm not advocating that you just go home and do nothing, although that would be fun. I'm I'm down to do that right now. Um, But but I'm not saying that it's just freedom from from activity, but, but the idea of rest in Scripture is this concept that, that it is a settled quietness in your inner self. Um, the word rest um, is in the same family as where we get our word to be quiet. And, and when God talks about us having rest, he, he is talking about an inner sense of quiet contentment. A contentment of who you are. A contentment in your life, in your circumstance. I'm not saying that your circumstances are always going to be perfect, but a settledness. I don't know about you, but rest would not be one of the top five words that I would choose to describe the culture that we currently live in. I don't think that we we are living in a culture of rest today. When I look around, I see a lot of hustle to get stuff done. I see um, a lot of a lot of if if you aren't working, if you aren't busting your tail, then something's wrong with you. And, and if you take, heaven forbid, more than one week off on vacation, then there's someone directly behind you that is itching to have your job and they will replace you in a heartbeat. The culture that we live in is telling us that, that rest and taking time off is not good. It is bad, in fact, and it is not productive. And heaven forbid that you would take some time off because whenever we do, we feel guilty for it. We feel like we should be doing something. 
And once again, I'm not just simply talking about freedom from activity. I'm talking about in your life, does your life advocate a lifestyle that comes from rest? Is there an inner quiet, a settledness in who you are? A settledness about where you are in your life, even if your circumstances are not ideal? Or is there always chaos circling around? Where'd this concept of the Sabbath come from? You see, if you look in the creation story, in Genesis chapter 1, God creates all of, of everything. In the first chapter of Genesis 1, he, in six days, literally speaks words out of his mouth and they become what he speaks. He doesn't work at it. He speaks it and everything comes into existence. And if you read through Genesis chapter 1, which I would encourage you to do at some point, you'll see where he creates different things and it says there was morning and there was evening on the first day. There was morning, there was evening on the second day. God spoke and created something. There was morning and there was evening. There was a defined boundary time, boundary of time in God's creative order. And then at the end of Genesis chapter one, he creates on the sixth day, he creates man. And it says there was morning and evening on the sixth day. Then in Genesis chapter two, you see what happens on the seventh day. Does anybody know what's, what does he do on the seventh day? He rests. It says on the seventh day, God essentially took a break from all of his work, from all of what he had been doing, and he saw that it was good and he rested. Notice that the seventh day is the only day that does not have a confined boundary. It doesn't say there was morning and evening on the seventh day. It says that God rested because he saw everything that he had done was good. And that was it. You see, I think that that means that God's, out of God's rest is where creativity happens out of that quiet, settled contentment of who God is and this strong identity and confidence of who he is, that's where creation takes place. And then as he created man, he invites us in and then there's a never-ending rest that God is inviting us into. Now, we kind of messed it up because we sinned and and sin came into the world, and now we live in the chaos that we live in, right? We live in a broken world, and there's sickness and struggle and job loss and um, all those kind of things, cancer and, and whatnot. So, so we're living in a challenging time in our lives, in the story, the journey of our life, but it still doesn't make that any less true. God has created us and invited us in to rest, regardless of what our culture is saying for us to do. And so I, I just, I want to I talk to you for a minute about how do we operate? How do we get into, how do we receive this rest that the Lord is offering us? Because he's offering you 
in your life an opportunity to have a settled, quiet contentment in who you are, in your circumstances, in your struggles, in the current life that you are sitting in right now, wherever that is, good, bad, and ugly, wherever you are at, he is offering you an opportunity to literally receive rest because his rest is unending no matter what your circumstance is. And I don't know about you, but I'm down for that. And so I just want to take a few minutes and, and, and kind of unpack this in, uh, in Hebrews chapter four. So if you got your Bibles, turn there. I want to unpack a couple thoughts here in Hebrews chapter four. So while you're getting there, um, Hebrews, we don't know who the author is. I think it was a girl because it's beautifully written. Um, and I don't think any guy could write what was written in Hebrews. Um, and uh, on top of that, we don't know who the author is. And I think maybe in the culture, um, you know, it would have not been appropriate for a girl to write something in the book of the Bible. So um, take it or leave it. That's not here nor there. It's just my own thoughts. But um, in Hebrews, it's talking about the, the sacrifice of Jesus being, uh, uh, being sufficient for everything that we need. When we receive the sacrifice, the perfection of Jesus' life, then that's all that we need to get back into community with God. We have to receive that. And so um, that's kind of the, the backdrop of what's going on in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is proving their case for the sufficiency of Jesus' perfection in you and in me. That's what we get to receive. And that's where rest comes from. So in Hebrews chapter 3, it says this, listen. Um, it's going to be a little bit confusing because we're just jumping in midstream. But in Hebrews 3.16, it says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter God's rest because of unbelief. All right, so let me just kind of give you a quick history lesson, if, if you're okay with that, um, where we're at in this story. Uh, the author of Hebrews is talking about a story that happens in Exodus and in Numbers. So this week... I would encourage you, your homework is to read in Exodus and Numbers. I know you probably read Exodus and Numbers at least once a week anyway, um, but let's just add to it, okay? So uh, Exodus and Numbers is where this story of Moses leading the people of Israel uh, comes out of. And so basically just in a nutshell, Israel finds themselves in captivity in Egypt. They are slaves to another nation. Their entire nation is enslaved to the country, the, the nation of Egypt. And, uh, and Moses shows up on the scene. God says, Moses, you're going to lead my people out of, uh, out of uh, slavery. I've heard their cry. Um, and so, you know, if you've been in Sunday school or, or read the story, the 10 plagues and all that kind of, there's a Disney movie, right? Is that Ryan and Pharaoh? Yes. Uh, but anyway, um, so, uh, the uh, 10 plagues, all that kind of stuff. And Moses leads the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt to the wilderness in Sinai. 
And they are going to a place called Canaan, which is the promised land. It is a beautiful land. Um, uh, it was described in scripture as a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I don't know, um, milk and honey doesn't particularly sound very good to me together, but maybe a milk and honey sandwich might be worth a try sometime. Maybe go home and have that for lunch. Um, but anyway, so uh, this, this was a beautiful land. And God promised them that they were to inherit that land. Okay, so, so follow me, right? They come out of slavery in Egypt. They go to the, de- the desert wilderness in Sinai. That's where they get the Ten Commandments and all that kind of stuff. And they are going into the promised land of Canaan. That represents, Canaan represents a fulfilled inheritance. It represents freedom and it represents rest, God says, I promise you that you will have rest on all sides. There will be peace. You will have a place to call your own. And you'll be free from war and struggle and whatever because I'm gonna give you an inheritance that you get to walk in, you get to have. All you've got to do is walk in. I'll take care of the rest. If you've read the story before, you know... um, They get a group of people together, 12 spies, to go into Canaan and check it out and see if it's really good or not. And so these 12 spies, they all go into Canaan and they look around and they come back. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they go, hey guys, this land is absolutely gorgeous. It is the perfect place for a timeshare. The beaches are wonderful. Uh, crystal clear blue waters, right? Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, Caleb and Joshua go, man, we, this, is, this is the place. Like God promised this land. It's beautiful, guys. We gotta do it. He promised that he'll be with us. We gotta go in there. We gotta take it. And the other 10 go, Joshua and Caleb, I don't know what you guys were taking on the trip up there, but like y'all are nuts because there are giants in that land. There are men of war in that land. They are huge and they will kill all of us if we try to go into their land and take over their space. So uh, I don't think we should go guys. And basically those 10 spies convinced the nation of Israel that Even though God had promised them to take them out of slavery, which he did, they crossed the Red Sea, they saw some crazy miracles, right? Even though he promised to take them out of slavery, take them through the desert to the promised land, they said, the giants are too big. It's too hard. I'm not going there. I don't believe you, God. I'm gonna choose to believe what I'm immediately looking at what my friends are telling me, not what you promise. And so God says, all right, because of your disbelief, this generation is going to wander for 40 years. This is the passage that we're talking about in Hebrews chapter three. Because of the rebellion of that generation, that generation wandered around the desert They were nomadic. They didn't have a home. They didn't have a place. They wandered around for 40 years in the desert because they did not believe that God was offering them rest. And so that entire generation died off. And the younger generation, their children, grew up and received the promise. We'll come back to that in just a second. 
You see, God was, was literally offering them a promise of rest. He was offering them a promise of an inheritance. All Israel had to do was literally receive that and walk into it. But they chose to allow their circumstances to dictate what they believed and what they saw and what they felt. And the result was that they wandered for 40 years. Now get this, because this blows my mind. In that 40 years, God provided everything for them. They were in the desert. They needed food, shelter, water, all that kind of stuff. God provided every bit of that. So, so like, I love that concept that even though they chose to rebel against God, he still took care of them. And you see, friends, this is where I think legalism gets us. When we don't choose to enter into the rest and the freedom that God is offering us, what I think happens is, is legalism begins to take over. It becomes a system of rules and regulations and all this kind of stuff. We've been taken out of slavery, out of our freedom that Jesus offers us. We've been taken out of slavery from sin, and we go, ah, God's promises aren't that good. I can't really truly be free from every addiction, from every sin, from every show. I can't really be that. That must not be true. And so I end up wandering around in the desert for years and years. I spent a, a good portion of my early walk with Christ questioning whether or not I was actually saved. Like, I don't know if this is you or not, but I remember hitting my knees like every day or every other day. Lord, please just invite you in my heart again. For the 9,000th time this week, right? Every day, all the time, over and over again, I would mess up and I would feel like I've done something wrong. And all, and literally, and God was mad at me. And so basically what I was doing was wandering around in the desert. I was free, but I was wandering. God promised me freedom, but I'm wandering. God's still providing for me in the desert, but I'm wandering. And all the while he's saying, hey, bro, there's freedom over here. There's freedom over here. There's freedom over here. Fast forward in Hebrews chapter four, look at this. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. In other words, let us be careful, not be scared. Let us be careful that that any of us should seem to have failed to reach that rest. See, he's saying we can still be in the desert, but we want to go to the rest. We can go into this rest that the Father is promising us, this quiet, calm contentment that he is offering us. It says, for good news came to us just as it did to them. In other words, the message of Jesus giving us freedom came But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, Jesus has taken care of every single sin, sickness, struggle, issue, whatever, giant that you might be facing that is standing between you and receiving the promised land. Whatever that is, walking in confidence and contentment, There is giants standing between you and that. And Jesus promises that he took care of it. He took you out of slavery. And now we get the opportunity to go into the promised land. But your belief system determines what generation you are a part of. 
your belief system, what you believe to be true about God and his word determines what generation you are a part of. This has nothing to do with age, gender, whatever. This has everything to do with the way you think. Your mindset shifts to what Jesus actually did for you. If he has truly set you free from every sin, struggle, and issue, what that means is not that our issues go away, but that he gives us victory in them. That he gives us victory over them. He gives us victory through them. When Jesus was praying for his disciples, he said, guys, I pray that God would not take you out of the world, but that you would be uh, protected from the enemy. We have been given an opportunity to receive a promise. Not a promise that our circumstances change, but a promise that we can walk in rest in our circumstances. Rest in our opportunities. Rest through our struggles. So the question is, what generation are you a part of? Are you going to walk in unbelief and wander around the rest of your life wondering. By the way, the enemy wants you to continue to be me-centric. He wants you to continue to focus on your sin, your struggle, your issues, why you didn't get that promotion, why you don't have that job, why you don't have that relationship, whatever. He wants you to think about those things. And all the while, the promise is standing wide open the rest in the current circumstance that you find yourself in is standing wide open. All you got to do is receive it. That new generation that rose, that rose up in Numbers 14, it says that, it says that they were going to be, until they stepped into the promised land, it says they were going to be shepherds in the wilderness. You know, I think that's part of the call of this generation. That's part of the call of the movement of the church today is that we're shepherds in the wilderness. We are believers of this new covenant that God promised us thousands of years ago and we actually lead people in that. We talk about it. We believe in it. We live in it. We are shepherding people from wandering in desert to freedom. That's our call today. That's your job description. It's my job description. I get to have a settled nature in the midst of chaos. Yeah, the funny thing is, is that in both circumstances, whether you're wandering in the desert or whether you're walking in absolute freedom, in rest of the Father, God still provides either way. (laughs) Either way we win. You're still a child. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you're a child of the King. So why not walk in the freedom? It says in John 10.10, Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Not struggle through and just barely get by, but walk in a settled contentment in who he is. Just to give you a, a, a very small example. Um, when uh, we were on our way we, this past week, I got a few days off and we went to Oak Island. I got to hang out with my wife and kids and um, man, I, like, it was just awesome. Like, got up in the morning, ate some breakfast, went to the beach, 
ate lunch, went back to the beach, watched TV, got up the next day, did it again. <laughs> like, it was a blast. Literally, I took my phone and I stuffed it in my bag. I took my laptop and I stuffed it in my bag. Did not answer an email, look at the phone, like nothing for like four days. And I was just with my family. And it was phenomenal. Isn't it interesting how whenever um, you don't have distractions and whenever you don't have this beautiful time-saving work device that's supposed to make your life so much better and more efficient, i.e. spend 12 hours playing games on it in Facebook, right? Um, isn't it amazing when, when you're actually present where you are and, and you literally say, like, I'm not going to think about anything. I'm not looking at emails, checking my work stuff, like, whatever. I'm just here. I'm just going to be present. Like, that is so freeing. If you haven't had that in a while, you need that. The Lord promises us rest. You got to have it. You got to have it in your current chaotic situation if you're there, but you also got to make time to get away. And so literally, like, I was in this restful state for a few days, and it was just fun. Like, I went, the kids are like, let's build a sandcastle? Yes, let's do that. Let's run around in the beach and jump in the waves and all that? Yes, like, let's just, let's have fun. Let's eat out. Let's have a blast. And I was just present. And then we get in the car to come home. And somewhere between the time that we got in the car and the time that we got home, I took my rest hat off and I put my work hat on. Now, technically, I'm not off vacation because I'm driving home, but my mind shifted and I started thinking about all of the things, (laughs) all of the unanswered emails, all of the issues that I was going to come back to, all the work that I had to take care of, all the plans and the preparing and all of the stuff that's coming my way. And I put my work hat on, took my rest hat off, and that ride home was absolute chaos. My kids had to use the bathroom like 25 times. It literally seemed like every couple miles, one of them's got to do something. And I remember after about the ninth time bathroom stop, we pull into a gas station. Uh, my daughter and my wife get out of the car and they, they go um, to use the bathroom again. And my son loses it. I mean, he flips his lid. Why? Because he wants to go in. He wants to go in the gas station. And, and I, like, I just start fuming. And as soon as the car door shut and my wife and my daughter go into the bathroom, my son is sitting there screaming. And I look back at him and I said, Liam, what are you doing? Like, think about this with me. You are sitting in a very comfortable seat with a, in a nice car that has air conditioning and the engine is running and you have an iPod. You're four years old and you have an iPod. Did you eat this morning? Yes, you did. You're going to eat lunch too. Why? Because I make money and I provide for you. You have clothes on your back. You have clothes that you are wearing right now. You have a blanket on you that I paid for. You have a house to sleep in. You have electricity that keeps you cool and warm and I'm going to provide all of these things for you. What the freak are you screaming about? (laughs) And he goes, immediately he stopped crying. He goes, 
Okay. I sat there in silence for a few minutes and Scott and I get back in the car. I'm driving down the road. And God quietly whispers, why did you take your rest hat off? And, I, and I'm not saying this in like a judgmental or mean or like condemning way. Like I felt no condemnation whatsoever. There was no shame in this. This was like a loving dad conversation where I just like sit in God's lap and he just tells me the way to life. Because see, this isn't about choosing right and wrong anymore. The greater transcendent truth is not about right and wrong. It's about life and death. Jesus provided for us a way to walk in the promise of life, to rest in life. And when we do that, right and wrong take care of themselves. And he lovingly said, son, why did you take your rest hat off? And I said, I know, dad, I don't know. He said, just because you're going back to work, in the grind and real life and all that kind of stuff, you can still rest. You can still be present. You can still be with them. You can be with me. You can be where you're at. You can rest. Don't take that hat off. Leave it on. And so guys, I just want to tell you this morning, no matter where your circumstance is, he's invited you into the Sabbath. Not a day of rules and regulations or so on and so forth. It's the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. God created this idea of rest for you and for me. And out of that quiet, contented heart, that's where brilliance comes from. That's where creativity comes from. That's where freedom comes from. If, you're, if you know deep it down inside <laughs> that God's got this, there's freedom there. That next generation of Israelites, when they walked into Canaan, you know what their first battle was? Because they had to fight battles. Guess what? Newsflash, there were giants in the land. You know what their first battle was in Canaan? Jericho. You know what they did in Jericho? They walked around the property and yelled. And the whole city collapsed. Like they didn't have to fight a battle. They didn't have to do anything except just walk into the promise. They had to believe that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. So guys, I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm asking you to shift your mindset. Change your belief system. Believe that God is going to do what he says. And out of that quiet, settled contentedness, knowing that we are walking intimately with the creator of the universe, that's where rest comes from. No matter what your circumstance is, don't take your rest hat off.